Good evening. You are listening to Source Material Live. The one of the last Source Material Lives, as a matter of fact. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radelich. And I am winding down my time on this particular podcast as it prepares to go back under the leadership and guidance and ruling of one Jesse, the disapproving dad, Starcher. He'll be taking back over uh in september actually he'll he'll be taking back over in full in september but he's got a couple of things coming up this month as a matter of fact uh, him and sean comer are supposed to be reviewing jla titans the technus imperative <clears throat> in time for titan season three so you know we're doing a we're doing a handoff a transition here but joining me over here is Evan Bevins to talk Suicide Squad 1987 Trial by Fire issues one through eight? There it is. <laughs> How you doing, Evan? I'm doing all right, Mark. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we're talking about this because, according to James Gunn, the John Ostrander run on Suicide Squad largely inspired the movie that's currently in theaters now, The Suicide Squad, directed by James Gunn. So we're giving this a look-see to see uh, what it's all about. And when I threw it out there for people to uh, review it with me, you jumped up on this. So were you a fan of John Ostrander, The Suicide Squad? Were you just looking for an invite invitation to the party? What uh, What's the story here? Um, when you threw out the invitation, I had just bought uh, bought this at Ollie's. Oh, okay. So uh, Now, I, I've been curious about it for a while. I've got some friends who had recommended it to me, and... Um, for whatever reason, the uh, the trades are pretty easy to get a hold of. So I've got, I think, um, four or five of the first six volumes. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, the aforementioned Jesse Starcher bought the first two volumes uh, at an Ollie's in Delaware. And I jumped on the chat and said, hey, I just bought this at uh, an Ollie's in South Carolina. And you said, one of you uh, has to talk about it on August 9th. <laughs> and I said, sure thing. <laughs> so, okay, so you got drafted is what happened. Got it. This is you. Yeah. <laughs> my I, arm, I mean. <laughs> I, I, I said something innocent in a chat, and suddenly I'm in a podcast. Um, that's, that's how it works here on the Rattling and Broadcasting Network. Cool. <laughs> so, um, are you a longtime reader of Suicide Squad? Are you, like, a fan of this particular team? I, honestly, I hadn't read much of it um, outside of uh, some New 52 stuff and the, uh, the Rebirth. Um, storyline where they uh they fought the justice league mm -hmm. um but you know i i you know heard bits and pieces um about it here and there and like i said ha had some friends recommend it to me so i'd been uh looking to to give it a shot anyway and uh you know this this helped me figure out what to grab off the shelf for the to read pile next and uh, i was not disappointed yeah um i didn't know too much about suicide squad myself um I know, I, I think as a matter of fact, when we reviewed the 2016 movie, we didn't even do a Suicide Squad book at the time. I think at that point, we had done New 52 Harley Quinn book. Because, like, who gives a shit about the rest of the team? The team. <laughs> <laughs> it's Harley Quinn and her and the Quinnettes. So, I was there um, for TDK. 
<laughs> oh, that, oh, were you now? So, all right. Um, we're going to talk about issues one through eight. That's what makes up the trade for Trial by Fire. But there's also a, a part in the beginning called, what is it, Secret File, Secret Origins? Se- Secret Origins. Okay. That kinda, it kind of um, linked, because this is the first of this version of the Suicide mm-hmm. Squad with the uh, villains trying to shave time off their sentence. But there's been a Task Force X or a Suicide Squadron in DC for, for years, which I, I didn't realize. Okay. Um, and the the original Rick Flag, or perhaps his dad, um, depending on which version you read, was part of that group. Um, I believe that was part of a series um, way back when called The War That Time Forgot, where mm-hmm. uh, you know soldiers in World War II fought dinosaurs, as you do. Um, that sounds and- amazing. And then, um, so so basically, what this Secret Origins did, and this this came out um, not too long after Crisis on Infinite Earths kind of reshuffled everything in DC, mm-hmm. and so this it, it, I read it at least as kind of you know putting all the different Task Force X, Suicide Squad, Rick Flag lore in order to set up the the new story. So um, it's. It, it it felt more like an info dump than a uh, than, okay. than an actual story, but it did uh, did give me some insight into Amanda Waller that I think gets referenced in issue eight that I hadn't read before. It makes me understand a little why Amanda Waller is the way she is. I was gonna say, um, what, um, I don't know that much about the Amanda Waller character. I always known that she was like a in the comics. She's always been a squat black woman who ran the Suicide Squad, and she was a no nonsense, uh, you know, tough as nails. Uh, sort of malevolent dictator of this group of villains in the she they had a version of her on Arrow who was played by a black woman but she was a thunder model type looking lady which is what New 52 Amanda Waller was and then uh, gradually in Rebirth they were like hey let's uh, take make this a unique character again instead of looking like you know every other woman in comics okay and she's so she's back to being a squat black woman yes um, and then Viola Davis, who I would not necessarily call Squat, but <clears throat> certainly closer to the comic book iteration than the Arrow version. Uh, actually, all I knew of her. So where did Amanda Waller come from? She, um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I believe she was first introduced in a series called Legends. That's where okay. the Suicide Squad was first introduced. Okay. Um, but then... In the the comic, uh, and like I said, I, I wasn't familiar with, with her origin, but she was basically a housewife living in Chicago, and her uh, her eld- eldest son, who was you know good student, um, you know lined up for an athletic scholarship, was uh, killed by a gang member, mm-hmm. and then her oldest daughter was raped and murdered, and her husband went to uh, killed the guy who killed their daughter and died in the process. Oh God. So then Amanda went back to college, got the rest of her kids out of the, uh, the bad part of town and, uh, went to work for a politician who was running for Congress. She, she basically said, Hey, I like, uh, I like what you stand for, but you're never going to get elected. And she helped him get elected, got to Washington DC and somehow stumbled upon all these files about a group called task force X. Okay. And in Secret Origins 14, she pitches Ronald Reagan on the program. That's hilarious. All right. So let's get into this. We've got the uh, the book here ready for you to look at while we talk about it. If you're watching this on 
the um, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're just listening. Um, well, <laughs> here's the plot synopsis that I got from DCFandom.com. Uh, so this is issue number one of the 1987 run of John Ostrander's Suicide Squad, which uh, cover date was May 1987. Um, pencilers are Luke McDonald, inkers Carl Kessel, colorist Carl Gafford, letterers Todd Klein, and editor is Robert Greenberger. The synopsis for Trial by Blood. Jihad, a Kiraki terrorist group composed of supervillains participate in a live training exercise in which they decimate a mock airport, all uh, a mock airport. All of the visitors, security officers, etc., are played by hired actors, criminals, and dissidents seen in the eyes of Kirax President Marlowe, in which many of them are killed. The demonstration is to sell jihad's services. At Bell Reef Federal Prison, the prison warden John Economos gives Gothamite reporter Vicky Vale, Vicky Vale, a tour, <laughs> a tour of the facility. The warden explains to Vale that Bell Reeve is only one of the few facilities that deals with convicted or accused superpowered beings. Economos then shows Vale the recently imprisoned parasite being kept unconscious and fed enough to keep him alive, but not enough for him to get active. No humans are allowed in the cell, and a rat placed inside a cage is mechanically shoved in to have its life force leashed by parasite. Although Vale finds this barbaric, Economos sees this as necessary as the parasite is too dangerous to set loose. By the time the tour is over, Vale leaves the prison. It turns out that the entire tour was a smokescreen to keep Bell Reeve secret as a headquarters for Amanda Waller's Suicide Squad. Waller confers with staff psychologist Dr. Simon Legreve and Marnie Ayers, in which they discuss the squad's members and their psychological profiles. Legreve voices his concern of the squad being questionably fit for duty, but Waller asserts her authority and makes the decision to proceed anyway. Waller debriefs the squad about the Jihad, their members, and their sponsors, President Marlowe, and the international terrorist known as Mushtaq. The squad's mission is to destroy Jihad and cripple Kirik's ability to reform it. The next move is to infiltrate Jotunheim. Uh, that should sound familiar. People have watched the movie. The impregnable mountainous base of the Jihad. The squad later boards the SS-1, a transport plane that once served the original Suicide Squad. Rick Flagg is very surprised to find out Karen Grace is volunteering to be in charge for the squad's emergency and combat medical operations. So this is really, like, not a whole lot happens here. It's a very much an introduction to what's going on in this book. Next issue is when things get started here. But uh, I'll ask you, Evan, what did you think of this first issue? Uh, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought it was, it was an interesting setup. But, but yeah, that, that was about all, all you got. I love the cover, um, uh -huh. which is, it, you know, kind of a non-traditional... Non it's not a big action thing. It just shows you the characters and says one of the one of them isn't going to make it home, um, <laughs> which is true. Just not that issue. I don't even did they even leave home <laughs> no. in that issue. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a good setup. Um, that's about. I mean, the the opening arc, not arc, but uh, the opening sequence with, with Jihad. I mean, that that gives you an idea of you know what what they're doing why they're a threat why the suicide squad is being sent in mm -hmm. so um but uh yeah it, it, all in all i don't know uh I don't, I don't know how well i would have uh how keen i would have been to have picked up the second issue from this one i mean there, there's there's nothing nothing wrong with it it does a good job setting up the story but uh i don't know you don't really get an idea of kind of the tone or flavor of the book to issue two no, and the only thing I want to add to that is you, I, I did get the sense that 
you know, this was kind of a military tinge kind of book. And look, and, and I don't want to keep referencing the movies, but they're kind of the only thing I've got to kind of base this on. And that is, um, you know, the first Suicide Squad, the whole premise of the movie was that uh, the, the premise of the movie was basically they needed a response team if any people like Superman showed up again. So the world is so a super, Superman uh, unveils himself to the world in Man of Steel. And it's and the premise of Suicide Squad is basically what if there's another Superman and this one is mean? <laughs> this one is evil. <laughs> what are we going to do? Who are we going to get? And they were like, okay, get the crazy girl with the bat. Get the guy that throws boomerangs. <laughs> you know. Get the guy who um, shoots really good. Yeah, get 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 the assassin. These alligator are all, man. Yeah. Yep. Alligator. Yeah. These are all people. The guy that the guy that can manipulate ropes. Um, <laughs> these are all excellent choices to take on interstellar uh, <clears throat> omnipotent beings. Hey, you work anyway. with what you got. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so she puts together the team, and the Enchantress isn't initially on the team, but the Enchantress then goes crazy, which is definitely a nod to this book, and we'll get to that momentarily, mm-hmm. that the Enchantress, I guess that's a big part of her character over the years, is she couldn't maintain control of her powers, and was frequently causing more problems than she was worth. Um, so that's an element they kept for the movie, and so she starts out on the team, and then she ends up going, you know, turning evil, she being completely absorbed by the Enchantress, and stuff happens, and then the Suicide Squad are assembled to go go get, save Amanda Waller and go go get the Enchantress. And then the studio interferes and says, "Make it more like Deadpool," allegedly. Allegedly. So my my, my only point in bringing that up is uh, the big contrast to the the Suicide Squad is um, James Gunn sort of presents it as this has been a black ops team doing doing missions that were easily disavowed by the government if there was ever a problem and these and they're doing it with people who they don't care if they get killed mid-mission and um and then the one thing that's similar between the two movies is uh if they go they get time shaved off their sentence i mean this book the deal is if they go on the mission they'll actually get their sentences communed they'll you know time served um but james gunn's uh, interpretation of the Suicide Squad was, like I said, was very militaristic. You know, the it's a black mm-hmm. ops team doing missions. This book reads the same way. It was a long way to get there, but I got there. Yeah. Um, this book reads the same way as this is basically going to be like a black ops team, a military team, uh, just consisting of you know these bizarrely powered people led by this army guy, Rick Flag, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, it, it's just an intro to that concept in the first issue, but I really liked it, and I was definitely interested to see where this was going. I wanted to, I wanted to see this team go on missions. They seemed fun, and if someone yeah. had already done a movie about this, I would. Love, that's what one of the things that occurred to me was like, oh, this really does read like this would be a fun, not even a movie. It would this this read like it would have been a fun television series. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. It, I, and, um, you know, one thing they do without getting too far ahead, but they they rotate a lot of people in and, you know, re- really play, play with the concept of you can bring in different characters, um, you know, for uh, for the mission, so to speak. Uh, I, I, I was, was trying to think back to like uh, cartoons when I was a, a kid, but honestly, the first thing that came to mind was was Paw Patrol. You know, the way they <laughs> the way certain dogs have certain vehicles, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, Chase always gets in there, but, uh, you know. Sir, 
All right, so let's get into issue number two here. Uh, for those of you watching, this is the one that's got the famous cover on it. Um, all right, so issue number two. The, it's actually called Trial by Fire. The Suicide Squad is in northern Karak waiting for the agents that will help them get inside Jihad's base, Jotunheim. Uh, so I'm going to pronounce it differently every time I say it. Suddenly, one of Jihad's members, Chimera, Just own it. <laughs> teleports in the midst of the squad. Flag quickly reassures his teammates that Chimera is their agent who turns out to be Nightshade working undercover. Uh, I'll just tell you right now, I don't know who any of these people are, so that like revealed nothing on me. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, there, there's a lot of things in here. In a lot of cases, they did a pretty good job with the asterisk, the editor's mm -hmm. notes, you know, pointing you to say at least like, you know, here's where you can find out about that. Like the, um, was it Karen, the, mm -hmm. the lady that, you know, gets Rick Flagg all hot and bothered when she shows up on the plane. She was back in Secret Origins. They have a history. Nightshade, I believe, was one of the Carlton Comics characters that DC acquired with like Blue okay. Beetle and Captain Adam. So yeah, I, I didn't I didn't know her um, until uh, until uh, a hero clicks that I'd never heard of her. But uh, but I mean, she she does have a, a, a history. Like one of the things I really liked about this was they gave you that sense of history but you didn't have to know all about it. I mean, Nightshade, she teleports and, uh, you know, works with Rick Flag. There you go. Yep. Good enough. Uh, Nightshade slaps Flag like you do, angry at him for not warning her about Jihad's demonstration that killed people and thus making her an accessory to a massacre. After Nightshade finishes venting her anger, Flag gives his teammates specific assignments. Once they are inside Jotunheim, Plastique is to destroy the lab, creating new members of the Jihad. The rest of the squad will take out their specific targets in Jihad, while Flag will personally go after Rustam, and Nightshade goes after Marlow. Furthermore, Nightshade's partner inside Jotunheim will disable the base's generators. Nightshade uses her teleportation powers to distribute the squad members throughout Jotunheim. Plastique then decides to betray the squad as she confronts Mushtaq and offers herself to join the Jihad and reveals the squad's attack. But Mushtaq trains his gun on Plastique and reveals himself to be Nemesis. The most powerful tra sorry, uh, Nightshade partner, the real Moosh the real Mushtak died in a firefight three months ago. Plastique makes a run, forcing Nemesis to chase after her and abandon his plans of sabotage. The generators for Plastique can derail the entire mission. It's it almost like uh, employing supervillains isn't always the most stable way to accomplish them. <laughs> the, the attack soon commences with Briscoe bringing Sheba uh, to firing on Jotunheim. Plastique stops Nightshade from apprehending Marlowe, but she's tranquilized by Nemesis. Unfortunately, Nightshade is knocked out, and she's unable to provide the squad's escape from the fortress. The squad succeeds in killing Manticore and Jacqueline, and Trantus destroys the machine that gives Jin his powers, but Flag fails to eliminate Rustam, who in turn kills Mindboggler. Captain Boomerang was in his sights to potentially save Mindboggler, but deliberately let her die, like you do. The squad makes their escape on a business jet. Rustam and Marlo watch them go as the former squares that Jihad will be rebuilt and find out and destroy the perpetrators who did this. All right, what did you think of issue number two? Yeah, a lot of action there really gives you the, uh, you know, kind of the the tone of, of what it's going to be going forward. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you see pretty quickly, it, I mean, we already knew that they were villains, but, you know, Boomerang uh, gets, a, gets the upper hand on Jocule, um, I don't know how to say his name, but you That's know, what I went with, yeah, yeah, and then just kick kicks him off the roof. So you know, the, the, this isn't the the Justice League, um, you know, or uh, 
Infinity Inc. or anything like that. Right. I don't, I don't know. Maybe Infinity Inc. killed people. I didn't read any of those. So, uh, but the Justice League, they definitely frown on that. Um, and then, you know, you, you get, uh, they make good on the promise that one of these people isn't, isn't coming home. This is the only time I've ever heard of mine boggler, but you know, just the fact that captain boomerang could have saved her didn't. And then goes back. It's like, Oh boy, guys, it was terrible. Um, you know, (laughs) nothing, I, nothing I could do. Uh, and, um, which, you know, gets, and you know, there, there was something I I forget. They explained it, but like captain boomerang and Deadshot are really the two recurring ones, at least uh, uh, among the inmates, I guess, because they don't Mm -hmm. have anything better to do. But, uh, yeah, captain boomerang is, uh, you kind of wonder why they keep bringing him back because <laughs> um, he, he seems to be more trouble than he's worth unless they just enjoy his colorful insertion of Australian slang. <laughs> Freezing my acres off. Um, yeah. I, uh, so this is the first like mission that they actually go on in the series, you know, which works out well. It's issue number two. And I like this, you know, I like the idea of uh, these guys work, you know, having to work, you know, <sighs> They're obviously like independent people. They were bad guys. They were out there doing things, robbing banks, etc. Now they have to work together as a team. So it's a nice thing, you know, in terms of storytelling to have to build this team. And there's tension right from the get-go. You know, you mentioned Captain Boomerang. You know, Captain Boomerang is untrustworthy. He's a piece of garbage, which is actually how they described him in the 2016 movie. <laughs> like, you're the wor- Jack Courtney, you're the worst piece of shit ever. Well, I never. No, I mean, your character is. No. Um, so, you know... I actually I like that. Like he just has such a, such a goofy costume and a goofy look to him, but like he's a great character because he he you're absolutely right. He's that sort of X factor on the team to where he's capable. And you know when when the shit flies, you want a guy there that can like take somebody out with a boomerang. On the other hand, he's so untrustworthy that when you know you have critical components that need to make the mission run, he might not actually do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, they never mention in this, and I, I don't know if this is just a later invention in the comics or something that was invented for the movie, but the the way that Amanda Waller controls the character, the the inmates in the movie, is their heads will blow up if they uh, if they try to go off mission. Yeah, there's no mention of that here. And as a matter of fact, later on in the series, Captain Boomerang's like, I don't even want to be in this prison anymore. Like, like you f- find me a place to live, and they do, like right on Bourbon Street. Yeah. Well, there's um. Now there is. It, it, it's not in the back of their heads, but in in the first issue, they do show like the wristbands they have on Plastique and Captain Boomerang. And Plastique says, "Well, they slapped this on my wrist and told me if I wandered too far away from Colonel Flag, it will blow my arm off." Right. Now that you mention it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're they're now not everybody had them. I think they just put one on. Uh, boomerang. So yeah, yeah. Originally, because right. he was, was mouthing off about it, he was like, yeah. "I don't have to wear a wristband." And they're like, "Yeah, you do." Shit. <laughs> and I, I, if I'm not mistaken, um, and the, the, this this is hearsay, so uh, you maybe we'll we'll get some angry comments. But um, Slipknot, uh, the guy that Adam Beach played in uh, in Suicide Squad, in in in, in the the list Suicide Squad, who who got got his head blown off, I believe, 2016. Yeah. They're all oh, there. You go. Um, in in one of the later comics, he he goes off and and has one of his wristbands and gets a, gets his arm blown off. And the first time I saw him, he was this one armed dude in prison with a fascination for knots uh, in a series called Identity Crisis. 
<laughs> Didn't we read Identity Crisis on here? Probably, possibly. I I, Wait, I wasn't invited, uh, and my my okay. feelings aren't hurt. But <laughs> no, we did Heroes no. in Crisis. Which one was I? Yeah. Oh, I loved Identity Crisis. Identity Crisis is the big mystery over like, yeah. who killed um who uh, killed Elast- Sue Dibney. Right, Elastic Man's wife. Elongated, yeah, elongated man. man. Yeah. yeah, whatever. <laughs> Mr. Fantastic, Elongated Man, Plastic Man, all the same guy. Anyway, close. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I re- um, we know we never did that on here, but I wanted to because it's one of like my, my favorite stories. I love a good mystery, and like this one was basically your your like your basic like pulpy mystery, just with superhero people in it. Yeah, but they weren't really doing superhero things. It was who killed Sue Dibney. That that was it. Yeah, such a great story. Ex- except uh, except it led him off in all kinds of different uh, different directions. But but yeah, that that was that was a heck of a mystery. Well, nobody kills Wally West in that one, so you know there isn't general hatred towards it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's there, there's some hatred toward it. Oh, is there really? Why do why do well, like really put, quickly? Why do people hate Identity Crisis? I. I really liked Identity Crisis, but I understand some of the negativity when you take, you know, like one of the most beloved couples and comedy duos in DC in uh, Elongated Man and Sue Dibney. And they're like, yeah, she got murdered. And before that, Dr. Light raped her. (laughs) Was this an example of women in refrigerators? I don't know. Um, That was... After people kind of got, uh, you kind of learned from from that. Some, I mean, it, it, Sue dying certainly fit fit the story and was was a was a gut punch. But um, I don't know. It was just a just a little dark for some people's taste for you know characters that you know they sell on lunch boxes and underoos. I don't want to get on my soapbox, mm-hmm. but I'm going to. I'm less interested in the babies that writers kill of comic book fans because these are the same people who called a 1-800 number and demanded that they killed uh, Jason Todd. So you can't Fair have enough. it both ways. Fair <laughs> enough. No. <laughs> I mean, I, just, I, get it. I, I thought it was an excellent story, but I, I was like, man, Ralph and Sue. Look, <laughs> I mean, like bad, bad things happen. That's part of drama. That's true that's part of entertainment is like, you know, what, 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 where is the dramatic tension if nothing is to be sacrificed? And so occasionally a baby has to die. I don't mean like a natural like baby, but no, that um, happened in Aquaman. Are you shitting me? (laughs) No. And it was like in the late seventies. Of course it was. It wasn't even (laughs) like grim and gritty Aquaman. There is a Aquaman book that keeps coming up. Um, Back when I was planning on reviewing comics for the near, you know, for the far out future, uh, I was planning something for the, uh, for the Aquaman movie, and one of the ones that kept coming up was, I think, like the search for Mara, and it's like the cover of it is like Aquaman just washed ashore. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Um, I don't think so. Oh, it's it's. I'll, before we end, I might I might have to find it and show it to you on screen. But it's like, yeah, it's a very grim looking cover because it's like it's Aquaman looking like he's dead and washed ashore, and there's like a sign next to him. I think it says like the search for Mara, um, and it is definitely from that era of comic books. Yeah. All right. Well, then, then there was the time that uh, Piranhas ate his hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, for comic book fans out there, whether it's Wally West or Jason Todd, you don't get to cry. When, you, know, you don't get to cry that like, oh, you you know, stop killing our heroes when it's only the heroes you want to see dead. 
That's bullshit. Anyway, fair enough. Off my soapbox now. Um, so this next one I loved. I, I really did. This was hilarious. I love a good jailbreak. And <laughs> this is this is issue number three, cover date July 1987. And it's essentially we begin with um, Dark Side. Going like, go get whomever. Uh, Glorious Godfrey. Godfrey. Yeah, I don't have no idea who that is, but he's like, they're like, he's a fuck up. Just leave him. Like, no, I want him. I want to punish him here. He doesn't get to be punished on Earth. I want to punish him here on Apocalypse. So he sends the female Fuhrer to break him out. I don't even need to read the plot synopsis for this. They they, they send the the female Furies to break into Belle Reve, break out Glorious Godfrey, and book it back to Apocalypse. And um, they're successful. (laughs) It's just a big, like, a big brouhaha. Trying to, you know, trying to stop these overpowered new gods. They are the new gods, right? They're yes. part of that group. Okay. Yes. These yes, overpowered are. new gods from running roughshod through this prison and making off with it with a prisoner. Only for so for him to be punished by Dark Side. It's not like they were breaking him out to go like to yeah. rejoin the gang to rob a bank. It was no 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 no. Dark Side says he wants to beat you. You, you don't <laughs> get to stay here. Which is so dark side. Uh, uh, so I, I, I loved think... it. That was great. I think Glorious Godfrey was one of the main uh, antagonists in that Legends series that introduced the squad. If I'm not mistaken, he was a talk radio host okay. who was like kind of turning people against superhumans. Okay. Anyway, um, there you go. Sorry, I I I, uh, I stopped your uh, the role you were on. No, 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 no. Break in, man. Talk. It's fine. <laughs> So um, that that's uh, so that you know that that's kind of calling back to that that story where they were introduced um, okay. and they and they had their first fatality actually a villain named Blockbuster. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's com- well okay so if you were compiling a body count of people that's been that's been on the Suicide Squad, do you count it straight through and are there doubles because they've rebooted this universe so many times, or do you you know or do you only count it per reboot? Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I um, I, I, I don't understand uh, DC continuity. I, I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, eh, let's just go with whatever the story is right now. And if, uh, I don't think if, if, if the continuity works, that's fine. But you know, <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't think anyone understands DC continuity, including DC. Yeah. Oh, like, I, I, I was there from the ground floor in the New Fifty Two, and the best way I can describe it is everything happened except the stuff that didn't. You know, to this day, and I know I've asked this question. I've asked this question on this show. Like, someone explained to me where we are in the continuity because I thought the New Fifty Two was basically a fever dream, and they're like, "No, the New Fifty Two, it this is still the same continuity from New Fifty Two, but Rebirth." brought back a bunch of people that were previously thrown out of the continuity via the new 52. So it's still the, so from everything from flashpoint on is still the same continuity, but through uh, metaphysics and creative writing, there are characters that were out that are now back in. And do I have that right? Maybe. I mean, the the new 52 (laughs) was supposed to be like, you know, five years after the new justice league and yet, somehow, Superman got squeezed in there with a twelve-year-old kid. Yeah, and actually, I think fifty-two refers to the number of Robins Batman had had at that point. <laughs> I know that. Um, uh, what was it? Infinite Crisis. God, I, I read so a couple of years ago, and this had to have been, I guess, maybe twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. 
I think I read uh, Infinite Crisis during a hurricane while I was sequestered at work. That, that seems fitting. That's the one where where was it that Superboy is the villain? Superboy Prime, yes, yeah. he's the stand-in for angry comic fans. Right. So Superboy, and and then like the the whole thing is resolved because somebody punched the universe. No, that's what brought Jason Todd back. That's Hang what on. caused the problems was Superboy punching the universe. Okay. So that's not how it was resolved, but that but that, that no. is the story. You might be thinking of the Hulk story where he punched time to fix it. So, Suicide Squad, number three. How about that? I, I Hang on. I'm starting to have an aneurysm. <laughs> My bad. My bad. Um, anyway. The Female uh, Furies broke Glorious Godfrey out of prison. Yeah. The multiverse was just fine at that point. <laughs> um, yeah, 1987. Um, just real quick, just so I can place this on the timeline, such as it was back in the day. When does uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth actually happen? Like what year? It, it's it's the mid '80s. I don't know off the, off the top of my head. Eighty-five. Yeah, it, it, it was it was before that, but this was very much in the uh, you know the the early stages of the of the new DC continuity. Okay, this is this is early on in the wake of in Crisis on Infinite Earth. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like um like you remember I said Nightshade I think was one of the I gotta look that up now was one of the Carlton characters and Crisis right. is where the Carlton characters actually came in to uh, the DC universe. So guys like Peacemaker and Blue Beetle, got it, and uh, stuff like that. So so the, the this was was after that, but you know still kind of in a bold new era for DC. All right, let's move on to issue number four here. Um, this was oh, my favorite. Oh yeah, this this is an interesting one. Um, so this is William Hell's Overture, which, which because you're in our, our network chat, I know how like into puns you are. And, and so when I saw like his name is fucking William Hell, I was like, I bet this is going to be his favorite. Was I right? There you go. I, uh, yeah, I, um, I actually, you know, I, I told you a couple of friends of mine recommended this to me. And after I read this issue, I texted both of them. I'm like, why didn't you tell me there's a DC character named William Hell? So, um, I think the next Superblog team up is the Superblog team up goes to hell, right? Yes. I expect a Dr. Bong-esque expose on the adventures of William Hell. Well, here's the thing. Uh, there's even less William Hell material than <laughs> Dr. Bong. I can't believe that to be true. And uh, I, I'm actually, uh, yeah, um, later he went by the codename White Dragon, just to make sure there was no subtlety. Um and uh, but um, and I'm working on one uh, that should be up this week on on my blog just uh, about this particular issue. And uh, mm -hmm. so I will, of course, link to the podcast and drive my 10 of readers to it. Please do. So I'm going to let you talk about this because I know like this was this was your favorite. Tell the world that's currently listening to this podcast all about William Hell and what he is and what he does. Well, William Hell is a vigilante operating in uh, Central City. And I, I, I kind of wondered, I, I didn't get to look this up yet. I, I wonder if there's kind of a void because uh, the Flash, Barry Allen, died in uh, Infinite Crisis. Um, it wasn't and a Wally West, replaced by Wally West? Yes, but, but I, 
At some point, Wally operated out of Keystone City, which was right next to Central City. Anyway, at this point, um, there's a, a vigilante void in, uh, in Central City, and William Hell is all too keen uh, to uh, fill that void. And uh, we see him busting up a multicultural group of uh, robbers and uh, detaining the minority members for the police and telling the white guys, hey, go down to 47th Street and join the Aryan Empire. Like you do. Yeah. And so then we see that um, William Hell is basically racist Bruce Wayne, (laughs) whose family was killed in a race riot. And then he was raised by his Nazi sympathizing grandfather. And so by day, he founds the Aryan Empire, contributes to the KKK. and all. This is his not secret life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by night, he's William Hell uh, arresting, uh, you know, or detaining minorities and telling the, uh, the white thugs, hey, go join up and, uh, you know, do your race proud. And so the Suicide Squad, this, this seemed a little odd for the, the Suicide Squad. Yeah, but, this is a um, very small mission for the Suicide Squad. But it's, it's one because they, uh, they couldn't, um, they didn't want to kill him and, and make him a martyr. And I guess maybe, you know, they, it, it, it's hard to imagine a political climate where you don't want to ruffle the feathers of wealthy um, <laughs> racist people. Sure. Um, but... Uh, so they, so Amanda Waller sends them in to to discredit him, mm. and uh, it just so happens that he was a childhood friend of Deadshot's, like your small world. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's always incredible. And uh, <laughs> so they, uh, so they go in and have Captain Boomerang and Bronze Tiger, uh, who who uh, <laughs> delightfully points out dur- during the briefing. When uh, Amanda Waller says, well, William Hell only arrests minorities, and Captain Boomerang's like, well, yeah, that's because they're the ones that do all the crimes. <laughs> <laughs> and Bronze Tiger looks at him and goes, uh, the only felons I see in this room are white. <laughs> Perfect. So, um, Cognitive so, dissonance is real. Yeah. So Captain Boomerang uh, portraying Captain Boomerang and <laughs> Bronze Tiger portraying a character named Wipeout who talks like a like a caricature um rob an armored car and william hell shows up and sure enough busts uh wipe out and says hey captain boomerang i like the cut of your jib go hang out with uh, my buddies at the aryan empire and captain boomerang is wastes no time in uh using some racist terms and just uh popping right on over um i did did learn that one of the uh words he tosses out according to uh, dictionary.com uh, is covered up by a pop-up ad, um, is an extremely disparaging and offensive Australian slang term referring to uh, indigenous people in Australia. Yeah, it calls them an abo. Well, okay. It's I wasn't going to get it. We here are adults on the Rattledgen Broadcasting Network and we'll sometimes use, you know, conversational adult language. Anyway. I gotcha. It's abo yeah. for, um, and he's referring to the aborigines that live that are indigenous yeah. yeah and i honestly nice, don't know if, nice thing to say yeah i honestly don't know if captain boomerang's an actual racist or if he's just a scumbag who says whatever will irritate the people around him i tend to lean towards the latter on him i i i mean not that i've read a tremendous amount of flash uh especially flash that had uh, captain boomerang in it but it 
and any portrayal I've ever seen of him, he was just a piece of shit, not necessarily, you know, a piece of shit that would say whatever he's going to say to whoever he's going to say it to. You know, it's kind of the old, I'm not racist, I hate everyone equally kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, and then uh, we, we do uh, see um, uh, a, a little bit of a payoff for, from issue three when the, uh, the female Furies were going through the prison. You saw mm -hmm. some other DC villains like Kronos, who shows up in this issue, and the Penguin, who we'll see later. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, that was just kind of a neat, you know, one or two panels that seems like an Easter egg. I, I don't think we called them Easter eggs back in the 80s. But, um, and, and then, then it, it pays off here. So... Um, Captain Boomerang's hanging out at uh, the Aryan Empire's big rally where William Heller, uh, as himself, is, uh, you know, talking about how terrible the Civil Rights Act was and how awful it is for minorities to drag us hardworking white folks down with them and uh, stuff you never hear people say anymore. And, um, and then uh, William Hell pops up on stage, much to the dismay of Mr. Heller. And uh, turns out it's Deadshot in disguise. And... Um, Heller excuses himself and then, oh my gosh, wouldn't you know it? William Hell shows up. And, uh, so Captain Boomerang says, well, let's just put this, put this to the test and see who the real, uh, William Hell is because apparently crossbow proficiency is as good as a fingerprint. And, uh, <laughs> so then one more of interesting on screen, that's for sure. It, that, that is true. Uh, so then one of them probably, uh, Deadshot says, uh, well, Captain Boomerang says, well, you know, in William Tell, he had to shoot an apple on his son's head. So um, the two William Hells agree, hey, let's shoot an apple off uh, Captain Boomerang's head, <laughs> which which Captain Boomerang starts yelling for the police. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so Deadshot shoots the apple dead center because that's what Deadshot does. And then uh, uh, original or William Hell classic shoots and misses badly. So then he, he flips out, which gives uh, Deadshot the chance to pull his mask off and go, oh, my gosh, the fake William Hell is really William Heller. And this is after I should mention Deadshot gives a, a speech saying, hey, uh, you shouldn't hate your uh, your, uh, you know, black and Hispanic and right. Asian <laughs> neighbors. Uh, you should hate the man. Yeah, I was uh, gonna say, essentially, he was like, you're all being you're all idiots and you're all being fooled into take into fighting each other which makes the powers that be the real problem easier to take advantage of you. And if you were just, if, if you would just band together, you could, you know, you could make change. And if you can change and I can change, we all could, never mind. Um, so, <laughs> the point being, yeah, that, that, that tends to not, you know, I'm about, I was going to make a joke about how that tends to not go great when you're at a, a rally full of uh, anti-minority folks. But I can think of at least two instances where, well, I was thinking about like Judas and the Black Messiah, where literally that's the speech that they give to. They're like, "Why is the Black Panthers with the, with, you know, with the Aryan Nation?" And they're like, "Because we're all poor people. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> this is a problem. Like we can hate each other later when we have money." Well, and then and then uh, William Hell was kind of a, a a hero to to the these folks. So uh, the the idea was that hey, uh, you know may, maybe if he says it, the, they'll listen. Right. Um, and then Rick Flag, uh, as one of the masked Aryan Empire thugs, shoots uh, fake William Hell that everybody thinks is the real William Hell, and then they spirit uh, Deadshot well, with with blanks, and then they spirit Deadshot away and talk about whether their uh, their methods were uh, ethical or not. 
and decide that they've assassinated his character and destroyed him in the court of public opinion. So mission accomplished. Yeah, I, I love this issue. I thought it was great. Um, yeah. It was just one single issue story, a very small story, but sometimes the small stories are the best ones. Um, kind of a goofy character, William Hell, but like, I think it's okay to have a little bit of goofiness in your comic books. Yeah. Um, well, and they, it, it's a story you could only tell in in comics with you know using a device that stops time to alter the trajectory of his shot and all this stuff and it's it's a very comic book story but he tells it dead straight i mean yeah. there's there, there's stuff that, that that makes you and i laugh not at the quality of the story but just because it's it's pretty absurd and it ostrander plays it it totally straight so you it it actually works on both those levels i mean you know it's you know it's it, there's not really a, there aren't too many rollicking good uh, racism capers out there, at least not, <laughs> not, not that I can think of uh, off, off the top of my head. And I, I think that that's what made it, it work is it, it I was mean, very much in a comic book world, but you know, he didn't, it's not, you know, there's a lot of, and I like a lot of them. There's a lot of stories, you know, today that are very meta and self-aware mm-hmm. and tongue in cheek. And this was just like, this is a comic book story where you're doing a real world topic. Go. And, I was gonna make a joke, but uh, you know, never mind. Um, it's gonna be like, oh well, I don't know. Uh, a time to kill was a rocking good time. Anyway, <laughs> um, good I, thing I you ha- didn't do that one though. Yeah, good thing. <laughs> so <laughs> let me uh, let me just say this. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, they're playing. They're 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 playing with the silly toys, but they're playing with them seriously. It's sort of a fun way to to do comic book storytelling um and i'll tell you that one thing that they didn't need to make the writing better in this was grammarly um no <laughs> what a segue what a segue i don't need grammarly to help me with my segues but my what's but grammarly could make my segues better grammarly's ai powered products help people make uh, help people communicate more effectively grammarly helps you write mistake free on gmail facebook twitter linkedin and nearly anywhere else you write on the web Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right. So next, so the next series, is, is a, we're up to issue number five now. And this is like a three-part story where they go to Russia. And the whole premise here is that they have to get Zoya Trigorin who is a Russian writer out of the Soviet Union so that she can defect to America. Uh, Zoya Trigorin, a Russian writer imprisoned unjustly, must be released, and the Suicide Squad depart for the Soviet Union. Uh, Simon Lagrieve reminds June Moore, the Enchantress, about her, impas- about her past and her involvement with the Forgotten Villains. In prison, the Suicide Squad discovered that Zoya does not want to be released, and the team is discovered. This Awkward. is freaking hilarious. <laughs> Like, like if I want it, like, this is where I think it, it had dawned on me. Like this would make for a great television series because I can just imagine like, like <laughs> princess, we're here to save you. You're what? <laughs> <laughs> um, like, you know, and, and the whole thing is it, it's, it's, play, it's more serious than all of that. She basically, she wants, she wants to be in, if she's there in Russia, then she attracts the world's attention or Soviet Union to the Soviet Union and the injustices going on there and, you know, and the, and the uh, malevolence of the government and all of that. So she has to, she has to suffer and she has to be visible for the world to take notice and to shame the Soviet Union into changing. Um, So she doesn't want to leave. And they're like, 
Fuck, we went. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Language. Um, <laughs> darn. Uh, <laughs> you know, we came all this way. No one bothered to find out if this girl really wanted to defect or not. You know, and now they're and 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 this is one of those deals where uh, this is where the penguin shows up, by the way, which yes. was wild to me because, you know, the penguins is like this notorious gangster Batman villain, which as an aside, I love this version of the penguin. And it only and it makes me just hate Batman Returns so much more. And Tim Burton, <laughs> who I believe is cinema's greatest monster. Anyway, um, more than George Lucas. Um <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so I love the I love the idea of like the penguin bereft of his resources, his gangsters, you know, his power in the city. You know, he's just a dude now, but he has abilities, not superpower yeah. abilities, but he's a smart person and he's you know, he can organize and he can plan and obviously read maps. And so he puts together <laughs> this plan and that's what they need him for. They, you know, they need somebody who's really good at like, logistics and strategy. And and that's what, and then, and then they're like, okay, but you need to come on the mission to make sure like everything gets done. And he's like, no thanks, I'm good behind the computer. And they're like, no, come on, fatty. Um, I want to be the guy in the chair. And yeah, he wants to be the guy in the chair. Um, I loved how they wrote how John Ostrander uh, wrote writes the penguin in this because he's like, he he gives him that wah wah wah, you know that that little big bird voice that he does, but it's not incessant penguin puns. You know, and it's he's not writing him silly. You know, he didn't he, marry a penguin. No, he did not. Happened flippers. recently. Are you fuck, darn. Are you? I wish are you I was. kidding me? <laughs> I wish I was. <laughs> Sorry, I keep I keep derailing things I, by by telling you things you wish you didn't know. <laughs> he married a what? And what? Where did he, I? <laughs> What story is this? <laughs> um, the same story where Batman didn't marry Catwoman. It was back then that he married a penguin. Yeah, during, a cat, during the, the the wedding. Around that time. Have you ever heard me, uh, Jesse, talk to me about the wedding and the rant that I went on about that? No. Uh, that's uh, that's in the archive somewhere. It was one of okay. the reading now uh, episodes that he did of source material. I'm like, I read the wedding. And I wanted to throw my computer, my printer, my couch, and one of my children out the window by the time I was done. <laughs> <laughs> I was not happy. I can understand that. So he married a penguin. That's There was this whole thing where somebody had threatened him and he was talking about someone they killed. And then like they open a casket and there's a penguin in it. And he was... I, he, he really, really cared about this penguin. Wasn't the whole like wedding uh, basically a setup for uh, by set up by Bane to take down Batman in some convoluted way? Yes, yes, okay. it was. And in somewhere in Bane's overcooked, convoluted plan to take down Batman by getting Catwoman to walk out of their marriage, yes, to, the wedding. to let Batman feel like he could be happy and then mm -hmm. rip it away. Penguin married a penguin. Yep, okay. uh, I'm I'm confirming it on fandom now. Okay, I want there, everyone. To there know. were parts of Tom King's run I enjoyed. There were parts I didn't understand, and then there was that part that I, you know, should probably uh, not mention on podcast so I can pretend I didn't read it. 
years from now, when people ask why did he quit talking about comic books on podcast, this is this is going to be why. Because I, I I don't I don't want to know the penguin married a penguin in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty whenever that was. Yeah, yeah. Well, um. So. <laughs> Anywho, so Maybe, here you know what I bet uh, I bet Dark Knight's death metal and Infinite Frontier undid that. That's that's my head cannon now. Didn't happen. Infinite uh, Frontier. Superboy not... punched the wall, uh, and boom. Didn't happen. What's the, what's the one where uh, the, the limited series or the one series, the crossover series they were doing where everything is cold? Oh, Final Night. Is, is that it? That was the name of it? That's or, where uh, the sun got blocked out or extinguished. or. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving on. So the point being, they don't write the penguin stupid in this. They, you know, he talks about like, like at one point they have to like get new clothes, and he's like, yeah, "It's not what I normally wear, but this is fine." Like, like, <laughs> not my usual plumage, right? Not my usual plumage. Like he's doing kind of bird pun, but he's not overdoing it. Is my point with all that? Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's just bird puns. He's not like leaving clues as to where he's going to be and how to defeat him. You know, <laughs> it's just eccentric. <laughs> or just pointing a gun at people. Chill out. Um, <laughs> the Iceman cometh. Anyway, get to the chopper. Now, now you're bringing me down. <laughs> I liked. Um, I liked how this starts. It gets a little wonky towards the end, but this first bit where they're on this mission and everything is everything is starting to work out okay, and they get to the goal, and the goal is like, but no, I don't want to leave, and everything then goes to hell. Is just what a great start to this very weird yeah. story. What did you think of it? I I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I noticed in this one too. I had a note that like, you know, the, there's small panels. A lot of seems like quick resolutions. Obviously, this one extended three uh three three issues. But you know, nowadays we're used to uh, the the term decompression. Like those first two mm -hmm. issues would have been at least six issues if they were being written now. God. And, um, you know, the, the single issue stories probably would have been at least two or two or three parters. And, um, you know, so at, at first I was thinking, well, these are kind of simpler stories, but, but mm -hmm. they're not, there's a lot going on underneath the surface and Ostrander's just, you know, kind of showing, not, not telling everything or not, not spelling everything out. Like, you know, eventually you get this love triangle de developing and, and stuff like that. And there's, you know, these themes of, you know, you know, do, do the ends justify the means and, and, and all that stuff, but you're not like hit over the head with it or, or it, it's, it's explained to death. It's just, you know, telling a, telling a story, um, and, uh, getting a lot, a lot of detail in there. But, um, I w I was really, you know, really getting into it at this point. I mean, what William hell I, I enjoyed, it was weird, but as this one unfolded, you know, I, I could, I could really see, uh, you know, why my friends had recommended this to me. Yeah, this and the in the opening story with them in Kirak um, are like what I want to like. I I might now that I'm not having to just read stuff for the podcast, I can kind of read stuff at my leisure. I might actually read the entire John Ostrander run. Um, this is the kind of caliber of stuff he's writing, and this is the kinds of missions that he writes for this team to go on. Uh, this this is the stuff that interests me. You know, I like a, I like a good you know mercenary you know um, black ops mission type stories. And I and I like the fact that it's not like all like my, my issue with like a lot of like the Punisher stuff, like Punisher Origin and everything is like that gets too far away from 
the lighter side of fantasy that I kind of want to stay on. So it's like, this is the right combination of serious and fantasy that I like. You know, yeah. it, it, I, I, I have nothing really but good things to say mostly about these first eight issues, and I'm hoping the quality keeps up as the series goes on. Yeah, it's like I said, I haven't read much beyond it, but I've got um, I got the next two volumes mm-hmm. and then five and, and six, or I got six on the way. Um, so I uh, just got to track down volume four. And then uh, I, I, th- I think it go- goes beyond that, but that, that'll give me stuff to read for a while. Indeed. All right. So issue number six, um, October 1987 is the cover date. Hitting the fan. <laughs> uh, the Suicide Squad's mission grows even more dire as the Enchantress goes completely out of control like she does and bringing the unwanted attention of the Russian military. Flag forces Deadshot to non-lethally lethally incapacitate Enchantress. Since Nightshade is still out of range from the train station at Gorky, the squad hijacking military truck with a very reluctant Trigarin along while being chased by the Russians. After losing their pursuers, Nightshade is able to use her powers to transport everyone to Gorky, but her powers are starting to strain her. By the time they return to the American embassy, the squad explained the situation to their handlers. Leonard Twillaby, the undersecretary to the U.S. ambassador, is furious at them for creating an international incident and saying they must surrender themselves to the Russian authorities, or if they don't, then the American government will turn them in. All right. This is kind of, you know, again, we're, we're moving the story along here. They are, of course, left to hang out to dry by the American government. Um, there's a lot of, if you're into the Enchantress and her incessant struggles, this is a pretty uh, good issue with that. What did you think of it? I, I again, I, I liked it. Um, the, uh, I, I, I was kind of surprised, um, by the the level of, of some of the violence in it not not that it was graphic per se but you know you have the one where deadshot just shoots the one soldier right in the head and uh th- they showed it in silhouette but after the the big red you know uh splatter across his face and i i guess it's not it's not that shocking but i mean i was i was like seven years old when, when this would have come out and i thought you know comics were all for kids and they're everything and uh of course this is a you know post watchman at, at at this point but um did you read Emerald Dawn? Because I have. <laughs> that was, that, wait, no, I didn't. But that came out a little later. Okay. Uh, but I, I and and I wasn't reading DC at that point. I was a I was strictly a a Marvel uh, guy, and uh, Marvel was just better than DC. And now, as you know, I've gotten older and matured and read a lot of DC. I realize Marvel's still better. No, I'm I kid. <laughs> I kid my DC friends. No, good. Good, good comics are, are good comics, and, and these are good comics. But uh, I was just, uh, I don't know, it, it, you know, seven-year-old Evan reading this would have been like, what? <laughs> some, some of this stuff. But uh, clearly, clearly the maturing of comics was already well underway. Uh, and um, let's see, anything else? Uh, you know, there, there were some good good lines in here, like when uh, Nightshade's all, all worn out, and um, I think... This this was where they were getting on the train, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. And they, uh, oh yeah, and <laughs> they, um, so they're 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 trying to find a, a place because um, they don't have enough t- tickets for, for all of them, and so Nemesis uh, says he'll go with Nightshade, and, and she can teleport him on the train, and he's like, but you know, uh, the only the only car we can get, and it's like a it's like a um, it's not a passenger car. It's going to be really cold. And she's like, no problem. I froze to death hours ago. <laughs> and it was, and it, it, it's just like an, an aside, like kind of, it, it's in this panel where everybody's talking and she's just like, no problem. I froze to death hours ago. And uh, so it was, it was some, some good lines there. 
Good dialogue. All right. And then uh, at the end of this thing, it's the Suicide Squad versus, I don't know, the, 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 the Russian Suicide Squad. The, the People's Russian, Heroes. The Russian Justice League, whatever they were. Oh, my. And th- this, this was not their introduction. So I don't know who went through and designed characters based on the f- first words they associated with Russia. Uh, I mean, and I mean, not that, not that I, I I could have done better. I mean, hammer and sickle that that's a gimme Marvel had some characters named hammer and and sickle. Okay. But then, then we've got Pravda, which wasn't that like the the Mm -hmm. Russian newspaper or information agency or something. Yep. She's the telepath. Okay. Then we have Molotov who blows stuff up (laughs) and, uh, and finally, Bolshoi, right? Who's a limber guy? <laughs> All right. So uh, this is thrown to the wolves. Cover date: uh, November of nineteen eighty-seven. The Suicide Squad are given thirty minutes by the U.S. government to surrender themselves to the Russian government. Flag proposes their alternative is to make a desperate escape out of Russia. Trigorin knows one route is the Black Sea, as winter is setting. Winter is coming. <laughs> The sea is frozen solid, and the squad could make the 250-mile crossing at Balaklava, where they will be extracted by Task Force X. The squad disguise themselves as tourists by appropriating clo- that. That's right. It's not my usual plumage. Uh, <laughs> and passports from the real tourists. Nemesis elects to stay behind to stand guard over the detained tourists to prevent them from being from blowing the squad's cover. After the squad make their departure, Nemesis is captured by the people's heroes. You know, this three-issue arc, I could see, like, um, if DC ever decided to to do a sequel to James Gunn's Suicide Squad, but didn't want to put an intergalactic starfish in it, like I would, I could see them adapting this. This yeah. th- this reads as very like Born Identity or James Bond, um, you know, Tom Clancy kind of a thing. That this this screams make me into a movie. Yeah, it um, and. You know, they they had the uh, you know kind of the the ongoing conflict with um, you know some people who still have consciences like Rick Flag and Nemesis and and Nightshade with Deadshot and Penguin who are like, well, uh, if we leave, the tourists are going to tell people we were here, so uh, let's just kill them. That's right. that's the simple solution. And Nemesis at that point was already sick of them all. He's like, you know what? I'm just staying here, guys. Let's uh, right. <laughs> we're not gonna uh, I'm not gonna let you kill these people. So you get out of here. I'll do my thing. It, it um, makes but, for great dramatic and moral conflict. Yeah, but but then they they also you know ca- carried that forward with um when they do meet up with the people's heroes um out on the ice, um where Flag and Deadshot have to work together uh, mm-hmm. to to take the one guy down, and so Deadshot's like, hey, we make a pretty good team, just kind of twisting the knife, which uh, <laughs> I, again kind of like Captain Boomerang, like he he stays around the team, he just seems to enjoy messing with people. Although sure. he's not 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 quite as big a scumbag as as, as Captain somebody Boomerang. who has been described as passively antagonistic, I don't know if you knew that about me. I I get that about people. Never, never. <laughs> so and and you know and then you had the the moment with uh, with Nemesis going back for uh, you get back for, oh Zoya yeah going going back for Zoya even though he's probably not going to save her and it turns out she's already dead. But, you know, he, so you, you've got all these people, even Flag, who, who's a good guy, but is, is making the calculations. We got to get out of here. And Nemesis going, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. 
Um, so that was a, you know, that, that, that was a, a nice contrast and, mm-hmm. um, you get another cameo by Gorbachev and, uh, you know, even, even a little, uh, little social commentary in there on the fact that, that her martyrdom was more influential than her book. Cause the book wasn't actually very good, <laughs> but now, now everybody's going to be like, Oh, that's that lady that died fleeing Russian oppression. This is good stuff. Yep. Um, all right. So. Let's get to the final issue here. Um, final issue of this Suicide Squad is uh, personal files. Yeah, this was kind of like a wrap up of the first eight issues here. Not a whole lot happens here. Um, kind of like cleaning up some loose ends. Uh, of everything that's happened up to this point. I did not love this issue. And it, that might have been like because I was also like reading it like right before we recorded tonight, like trying to make up time. Yeah. Um, but well, it, I, it, it's it's not like we've just had three issues of this really, really fun mission. And then before that, you had some fun, silly stuff with William Hell and all of that. And then the Kirak mission before that. And then this one, it's just like, all right. Rick Flag needs a timeout. Let's read some personal files. Let's do some psych stuff. Let's let's get Bronze Tiger in charge of things, and then nothing. Give Deadshot Deadshot an unrequited romance. Yeah, yeah, he but, kissed the doctor. Yeah, well, I mean, and in th- this kind of you know, I, I mentioned that that a lot of the issues seemed like really kind of straightforward, and a lot of stuff crammed into them. So th- this is uh, this is to flesh out all the all the subplots, I guess that, that we're just right. kind of h- hinted at in, in the all action issues. Like again, you know, nowadays with decompressed stories, we would be seeing this interwoven with with the action. So this is just uh, this would be an eight issue limited series called Suicide Squad in Crisis. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, it, it just uh, that that lets them uh, you know kind of focus all the action in certain issues, and then this is you know all the stuff we didn't have room for. Well, um, I, I wonder, including introducing before. the privateer. I mean, come on. So this was written back before, like getting, you know, having number ones and having enough issues to constitute selling a trade in a bookstore were the most important things. More important right. than that story. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you didn't know what was going to be collected in a trade, right? So this was, you know, one of the ones that you would find of the many that you would buy month to month, and. I, it reminded me of what it was like to collect comics back in the day for me. You know, mm-hmm. and now we're talking like the mid to late 80s, early 90s. But like, yeah, there would be some stories that, took, that, that were just one issue and then they were done. There would be some that were two or three, four, maybe even longer issues. Um, sometimes they even got up to 12 to, to tell one solid story arc. Christ, I was actually reminded today because as we're recording this, it was the 60th anniversary of the Fantastic Four. And so a couple of years ago, when we were reviewing The Incredibles 2, we reviewed uh, The Trial of Galactus. That was like 30-some-odd issues, that whole story <laughs> arc. It went on forever um, in a big trade. Anyway, my point being, you, there would be the occasional month that you would get a single issue of something that had nothing to do with anything else. And it mm-hmm. was really no action in it. It was just like a bridge to the next thing. And that's what this is. You know, it's a wrap up. It's a bridge. Not a whole lot happening in this issue. It reminds me of uh, um, Chris Sheehan will talk a lot about about X Men, like about the quiet issues um, mm-hmm. after some big big event, and that that that's kind of what this was. I mean, 
again, we're, we're talking about a, a three issue storyline, which, which was huge compared to the other, <laughs> other stories in, in this, this collection. But so this is kind of, you know, take stock and, uh, you know, kind of set up, uh, yeah, I, I, I figure a lot of these threads will be picked up in the, uh, in, in, you know, I- issue nine and in the kind of the, the next uh, collection. All right. So that wraps up our review here of Suicide Squad Trial by Fire from uh, 1987, written by John Ostrander. Um, I have talked at length about how much I like this. So I will just say in conclusion, I'm glad we read it. Um, I'm glad we got a chance to fit this in before my run of source materials is over. And <laughs> but You're I, on um, video now, Mark. Oh, God darn it. <laughs> um, but I want to say, um, Evan, you've, uh, you've stepped in along with Alexis and Christian to help me out in the past year as Jesse was on, uh, was on hiatus because he was essential. And I just want to say, I want to take a moment to say, I'm glad that you stepped in to talk about this book with me. I'm glad you talked about Black Widow and some of the other ones that we've done, like Cosmic Ghost Rider. That was a lot of fun. And I just appreciate you. I appreciate the time that you spent doing this. And um, I am turning over the reins back to Jesse, but that doesn't mean I'm done being on this show. I will occasionally come on. I hope we get to talk about stuff again. Absolutely, yeah. I appreciate you, uh, you know, making me a part of it and giving me a a, a productive outlet to talk about uh, about comics instead of just uh, annoying my non comic reading uh, coworkers. Like, hey, did you know this one time uh, Howard the Duck uh, was a human? <laughs> like, why why are you doing this to me? <laughs> yes, we, you, and I talked Deadpool the Duck, and when was I ever going to be able to do that publicly? There you go. So that's what I'm here for. So yeah, we'll have to bug Jesse. I know you and I had had threatened to do uh, Billionaire Island. It just didn't come together in enough time before my uh, my time was up here. But me and you will will bug Jesse. We'll make him sit down and record and uh, put us together to do Billionaire Island sometime in the next five years. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> uh, your your final thoughts on the book? Yeah, no, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I I was I I got it because I was curious and because it, it was relatively easy to get. But and it, and it was recommended to me. I honestly wasn't sure how much I'd like it. Um, bad guys going good isn't always my favorite story, but when it's when it's done in an interesting way, uh, it it can be really good. And these you know half these bad guys aren't even going good, and the others are trying to figure out how to be good when they're surrounded by villains and doing stuff that they, they ought not be doing for the greater mm-hmm. good. So, um, and you know, it was, it, it, it was a lot of fun to, you know, kind of read a different style than what, what we read today and something that was, you know, going on when I was, you know, reading comics, but not, not what I had read before. So it was a, a lot of fun to, uh, mm-hmm. to read that and, you know, see, see what elements translated onto the screen. But I'm, I'm really curious to, uh, to see what what happens next, I'm I'm gonna keep uh, keep reading these after I, uh, you know, do some uh, Shang Chi and Eternals research, so I know uh, what what the heck I'm talking about with those. So I have a question for you. Yes. Uh, you saw James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. I did, and I, and I don't need to know what you thought of the movie because you and I have talked about it offline, and we're yeah. gonna talk about it full. T- um, another group of us will talk about it in full tomorrow. I do want to know what you thought of the music. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more. Um, in that was used in the suicide, like Johnny Cash's. Uh, I believe it was the live. Oh, uh, it was Folsom, Folsom the live Prison version, Blues. Folsom Prison, Prison Blues and some other really good ones. What did you think of the music that was? Oh, yeah, well, hey, James Gunn always, uh, always, you know, picks the the right music for the for the job in, in a scene. So, uh, 
that, that was good. Uh, you know, some of those songs I was familiar with. Some I imagine I could listen to on Amazon Music. Yes, yes, you can. <laughs> well done. Uh, we are actually giving a free 30 days of Amazon Music away for those of you who click the link in the description of this podcast. So um, whether you're listening to it on traditional means of audio or you're watching it on YouTube, the link will be provided. Click it. It'll take you to, uh, to the sign-up page for AmazonMusic.com. You fill out the information, agree for the 30 days. It's all yours. You can stream unlimitedly for a month. And then if you like it, you can keep it and you pay a monthly fee like you would do with uh, Spotify or Apple Music or Pandora or whatever. Uh, if you don't, you can cancel it. There's no contract, no fuss, no muss. But it's a great service. We use it all the time. And almost anything that you're looking for in the known universe is up there, including, and I, and I talk about this frequently because it was so funny that we found it while just like by accident while doing this plug. Back when Christian and I reviewed Maestro by Peter David, mm -hmm. I, was for, I was looking for Hulk, um, for Hulk music. And I found a rapper called Cannibal Hulk. Cannibal Hulk, Evan hmm. Bevin. Cannibal Sounds Hulk. like they were inspired by Old Man Logan. Maybe, but it is an odd little rap group that I found, and I found it on AmazonMusic.com. And so if you want to find odd, weird, uh, out-of-the-box music, whether it be rap or something else, like, you know, rock, country, or whatever, you'll find the it really all. The really bizarre song that plays in the credits of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. That one, too. I'm sure yes. it's on Amazon. No, it, it is, my kids, and I found it on Amazon Music outstanding so click the link get your free 30 days of amazonmusic.com uh the only plug i'm going to mention is two plugs one uh ronnie adams and i just did a uh, dmu hollywood for the green knight from david lowry david lowry who it's not up in the archives just yet because it's from the block talk radio days but david lowry also directed the peach dragon reboot remake hmm. so uh depending on what you thought of that uh, and he'll be directing the upcoming peter pan and wendy for uh, i believe it's Disney Plus. So if you're into David Lowry and really who isn't, he's an acclaimed director, uh, check out The Green Knight and then check out our review of said Green Knight. Ronnie and I had things to say. And then tomorrow, a whole gang of us will be reviewing The Suicide Squad from James Gunn, who was uninterfered with by the studios. And according to the money, none of that seemed to matter. More on that <laughs> in another <laughs> podcast. All right, go ahead and do, plug your blog and whatnot. Let's see. Well, uh, Asterisk yeah, asterisk51.blogspot.com. Um, I'll have a, a, a slightly deeper dive into uh, the adventures of William Hell or William Hell's Overture this week. Uh, I'm continuing my uh, dramatic look at the sequels to Free Willy that were never made every Friday. I just wrapped up uh, my long delayed journey through Captain America, Man and Wolf, uh, which was frankly everything I hoped it would be. Did you see the pop? The Funko oh, Pop. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, that is, uh, that, that is awesome. Um, you might get that for Christmas. I'm just saying. I, <laughs> I would not turn that down. Um, but uh, let's see. So then, yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm looking at some other uh, series to, to dive into, um, as well as just some other weird things I found at the dollar bin uh, to, uh, to sift through and, uh, and chat about on there. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us here, uh, Evan Bevins and I on Source Material Live. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>